was Uncle Bulgaria on a working visa. Is Lee Ryan just a funny teaser? Hello, listeners, and welcome to another year of Answer Me This. The adventure begins all over again. Our eighth year. I think when I was eight, I was already semi-fluent in Latin. You were at your intellectual peak, weren't you? I was actually... It's been a decline ever since. Uh, Let's hope it's not the same for the podcast. (laughs) Uh, But things are changing here, not just because we're on the intellectual decline, but because Ollie has some very exciting life news. Life news makes it sound like I'm about to say I'm having a baby. I'm not. It's having his tubes tied. It's none of those things. Uh, No, the the exciting life news to which Helen refers uh, is uh, I am now a full paid professional radio presenter. You've got... A full-time job. That's right. Five days Thank a week. You. Yeah. Judas. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, listeners uh, in London or indeed anywhere near a computer uh, can or, listen to or me. Or other internet conveying device. Can listen to me uh, weeknights from 1 till 4 a.m. Oh, yes, it's a primetime slot uh, on LBC 97.3. Yeah. So there's the rub. The hours 1 till 4 a.m. Mm. are inhospitable to other aspects of one's life. I wake up at 2 p.m. Uh, and then sleep, student and then <laughs> sleep in a separate bed to my partner five nights a week but I'm getting used to it and I'm enjoying it and I'm taking yeah. calls and the cool thing is when people call in if they've ever called the station before it flashes up with their real name and what ah. they said last time and the other day I did a gambling phone in and a guy called in I won't say who he is but he is a knight of the realm <gasps> and he'd previously been on the station talking about his responsibilities as a knight of the realm and it wasn't just someone else using his phone no and he was calling up as you know nigel from temple fortune or whatever to say that he does spread betting on horses and everyone should bet on the horses wow. and i was like wow, wow that's actually that's a daily mail story isn't it that i could leak but i won't no because your job's too new that's right but it's not all cakes and ale and by cakes and ale i mean finding out salacious facts about knights of the realm and talking to insomniacs about immigration yep um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the fact is that working in the night, yeah. as Ollie suggested a few weeks ago when we advised a listener who was uh, doing a night job how to get by, it's uh, it's difficult. It's draining on your time. You it might is. you might be able to predict where we're going with this, listeners. We we are going to still carry on the podcast, though. We're not giving you up. We couldn't. We're not. We're not. And, and I want to say that straight away. You know, we're not. Everyone who who tweeted me and congratulated me and then also said, please don't ever give up the podcast or I'll kill you. Uh, I, I take your <laughs> attachment to our product very seriously. We, we will give up the podcast when I kill Ollie. <laughs> what lovely listeners we um, have. And the thing is, listeners, this is a very crafted product. This show uh, it's and very uh, polished. You would, you would certainly know that <laughs> uh, just from listening. Uh, and uh, as you might imagine, it takes many, many hours when we're doing this on a weekly basis. Uh, by the time you factor in all the time it takes to drive down here from uh, Hertfordshire to Crystal Palace. Well, that's your fault for moving uh, there. You were yeah, on a direct train line, Ollie. <laughs> sort through the inbox and choose all the questions we're going to answer, record the episode, edit the episode, distribute the episode. It stacks up to about uh, half a working week per episode. Yeah. Doing that within the format of having a, uh, a nighttime job isn't very practical as often as we used to. So, so here's the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, answer me this is now a fortnightly proposition however on the plus side it's going to be longer yeah every episode there's going to be at least 15 minutes of ollie talking about how crap it is working at night yeah or just uh you know sometimes you open your mouth when you're really tired and gibberish comes out (laughs) (laughs) how will we know the difference hoody hoody who and to be honest uh if if this job hadn't come along probably at some point i would have killed ollie we would have have had had enough of seeing each other every single fucking day Uh, do you know even though you've only been in the job a few weeks i feel much more refreshed about having to see me too 
Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you're delirious from sleep deprivation. Uh, yeah. It's the coffee talking. Yeah, I mean, um, you're not seeing me. You're seeing a talking panda. <laughs> so I think this actually may have weirdly preserved long-term answer me this for, for longer than actually it may have run its course anyway. So yeah. hold on to that thought, listeners. Think, think about that. Um, and uh, and thank you for your for your understanding. Right. Unswerving loyalty. Yes. On with the questions. Hello, Helen and Ollie and Martin Sama. Sam here from Worcester. But basically, I'm stuck on a coach because my train home got cancelled. Anyway, Helen and Ali Anthony, when was the last time you were on like a big proper school trip coach? And where were you going to? I was on a big uh, school type coach only a few weeks ago, shortly before Christmas, in fact. Why? Where were you going? Well, Martin and I were on a mini break in Lille. And there's not that much to do in Lille, so we thought, let's go on a day trip to Bruges. And that involved a coach. Well, the trains were all screwed. It was like being at home. Yeah. Uh, so we had, <laughs> to get, right. we had to get a coach over the border to Belgium uh-huh. and then get two trains to Bruges. Anyway, we got to Bruges and it was well worth all that uh, circuitous journey because there was the annual ice sculpture competition. And what were people sculpting out of ice? Well, this year it was themed after the Disney film Frozen. So oh, okay. a lot of Disney princesses with very shiny boobs. There was also an ice slide, which Martin went down, but it wasn't really wide enough to accommodate any adult hips. So in other words, really a very similar experience to that depicted in the film in Bruges. I know, except where... Oh, except uh, I got my bum stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and also, spoiler, where uh, somebody uh, falls off the tower, there was a big Christmas market and ice rink rather than an empty square. I think when a coach is a rail replacement service, it's understandable that the school trip jollity is not necessarily present because people haven't chosen to board the coach. They're there because something else isn't available. And also we were going to Belgium, so I don't think people would naturally do the kind of (laughs) mooning out the window type (laughs) coach behaviour. It was altogether more subdued and civilised. But when a coach has been booked... I do find there is this oh. levity in the atmosphere, uh, which I think is unique to travelling by coach, and I think it's because it takes everyone back to their school days. Alternatively, it's because everyone's in the back and no one's driving. There's a large number mm. of people to muck about and they're bored. Yeah, but same goes for a train, and yet you don't get that atmosphere on a train. Not in the quiet coach. No. <laughs> but the last time I took a coach that I recall was on a car rally, vintage car rally mm. with my dad. We were in Dublin. Was it a vintage coach? It wasn't, no. Oh. Absolutely bog standard carpet on the seats, mm-hmm. all of that. Yep. Uh, picked us up from a racetrack, took us to a hotel. Yep. Despite the fact that most of the people on that coach were, I would say, average age 65, 66 years old. Full on paper aeroplanes... Cocks no. on the backs of seats. Jollity. <laughs> Jollity. And I, by the way, I mean drawing cocks on the backs of seats. I don't mean they took them out and slapped Slap them down on the, right. <laughs> on the headrest. What's the longest coach journey you've done? Ooh, good question. Ever. Ever. Uh, I went from New York City to New York State. Mm. And um, I mean, I know that's not far in and of itself, but where I went in New York State was, I think, about five hours. I think that's the okay. longest coach journey I've done, I think. Huh. And did the coach mood translate to America? Was it a Greyhound bus? It was, yeah. So actually... The did coach... anyone rip a stick of chewing gum in half and give you a bit? <laughs> actually, talking about the chewing gum in half thing... Yeah. When I was a kid and we used to take school trips, my coach time snack mm-hmm. was a loaf of bread... Uh, if we were going... <laughs> sliced? No. It's like a budget Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> Brown or white? Um, white. If we were going to the theatre in London and, mm. the, and the coach picked us up from outside the school, that's about an hour and a half's journey. Um, other people used to go to the corner post office in Letchworth. They used to get themselves a timeout bar or a bag of sweets. Yeah. Special and occasion thought, and all. You know, let's... 
you know, let's make a, a communal experience out of this. Let's not just buy something for myself. So I'd buy a whole loaf of freshly baked bread, unsliced, wow. and then people would tear chunks out of it and we'd pass it around. Wow, wow. that's lovely. Is it though? You're a bit like weird. Jesus. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that why your friends uh, from school call you loafer? That's part of it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I didn't do anything to dispel the notion that I was a bread fiend. Yeah, and, and you had a haircut that looked a bit like a loaf of bread because it was the 90s. Yeah, everyone did. I don't mean to be rude, but that seems a much more altruistic gesture than I would attribute to the only child Ollie man. No offence. Uh, I suppose I was facilitating a lot of food for myself, though, even I though see. I was dressing it up as a gesture that other people could benefit from. So you, you still got most of a loaf of bread out of yeah. that transaction. Well, I still got to have a chunk of bread. Just and plain it, bread. It wasn't, wasn't a meal. No dips. No dips, no, which is, yeah. I mean, nowadays, I imagine the 16-year-old Ollie man would probably pick up a, a packet of hummus or guacamole, yeah, but yep. these things weren't available in 1997 in the corner post office. Some squid rings. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's a question from Aaron, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Professional cat litter. Who's that for? He includes a picture of a bag of cat litter that says professional cat litter on it. Yeah. I mean, I suppose, obviously, the simple answer to this is it's for your cat to shit on. Professionally, um, not just for fun. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, professional cat litter, um, mm. I believe, yes. uh, is designed for people who professionally work in the animal industry. So people right. who are running catteries, veterinarians, that kind of thing, pet shops. Why is it then freely available to our listeners who aren't in the professional cat industry? Yeah, well, I imagine because, like a lot of these things, if you think about, like, salon selectives, like you just stepped <laughs> out of a salon. What happened to those? Right, all those things. If you think about hair care products, makeup, mm. they claim to be professional. Mm. You know, they'll have people on the ads saying, yeah, when I do makeup for Demi Moore, I only use whatever. And actually, of course, they don't use that because that's the £3 one from Boots. Yep. But it's a way of marketing that product. Yes. So I imagine that professional cat litter, similarly, if you actually run a vet or a cattery, you're actually going to be buying in bulk the cheapest cat litter you can. Yeah. Uh, because you've got someone who you're paying £4 an hour to scoop it out on the hour, so it doesn't matter anyway, and you need lots of it. Right. But and they're selling to ordinary punters. Hey, this is the cat litter the professionals use. Demi Moore puts it on. Yeah, exactly. When Demi Moore really needs a crap, she uses this. <laughs> Have you ever been tempted to go in the litter tray? Firstly, for laziness <laughs> about going to the toilet. Secondly, just to see. Yes. Uh, if, if, there, if there was a, a sort of honey, I shrunk the kids parallel universe in which mm -hmm. I could step into a cat litter tray the size of me. Yes, I would try it. But I, I couldn't fit into our cat litter tray. No, but you, what do you mean you couldn't fit? You don't have to fit your whole body into it. It's got a cat flap R1, so it's, oh. it's covered. Oh. It's not just a it's tray. As, it's as if it's not for human use. Exactly. Mm. And so I'd have to uncover the tray to then use it, and then I'd feel dirty inside. I don't think I could follow through. But if anyone does make human-sized litter trays, perhaps <laughs> Ollie Man could be your spokesmodel. Coco. Your I, cat. My cat. What she's been doing now, actually, which is incredibly frustrating, since we moved to the countryside, mm. she can go outside, obviously, to, to go to the loo. But what she does instead, we still have a cat litter tray because we lock her in at night. Yeah. You know, should there be an accident or emergency. Yep. Um, but much as we've seen the stories of A&E being abused in mm. this country, um, that litter tray is used and abused during the day when she could be going outside. It's very frustrating. Be sitting inside. You'll see the cat go out for a walk. Right. Bit of mouse patrol. Comes back in, takes a smelly dump, and then goes back outside again. She's like the opposite of my dad. Inside, <laughs> goes outside to relieve himself outdoors, as is his human right. Yeah. Are you considering blocking off the litter tray for the day? I'd never considered that, but yes, we could, couldn't we? Just put a cardboard box over it or something. Put some ping film. Yeah. Ping film, no. Asking for trouble, that's a Martin. Classic, that's a classic gag. Classic yeah. prank. Yeah, but it would be a prank upon myself, wouldn't it? Because I'd have to clean it off my rug. Well, talking of Coco, here's a question from Alex and Fion, who say, Helen, answer me this. What is the difference between Coco and hot chocolate? Mm, well, one of them is nicer than the other one. Yeah, I've got two guesses on this one. Okay. Purely just speculative. Guess one. Yeah. 
in practical terms, nothing at all. Guess two, malt. Incorrect, both. Okay. Uh, Americans actually may not even make a distinction between hot chocolate and cocoa, but the technical distinction is that cocoa has had the cocoa butter forced out, so you get a less creamy mouthful, whereas hot chocolate has it in there and mm. usually more added sugar and milk if you're making the instant stuff. And, and why, in this context alone, don't write in innuendo fans, why would you want a less creamy mouthful? They use the cocoa butter for other things anyway, so maybe it is a marketing wheeze, maybe it's uh, so that it preserves for longer, maybe that's why they originally did it, because a dry powder would last yeah. for ages but it is drier and therefore sort of makes your mouth feel a bit drier doesn't it some people like austerity when it comes to making cakes and desserts and stuff cocoa oh really yeah because hot chocolate already has added sugar and usually some dairy powder as well so that will mess up your recipe and it's not strong enough here's a question from an anonymous person who says ollie answer me this why did my high school acquaintance think it was anything but disgusting to keep all of her kids teeth and post a picture of them on facebook <laughs> and she has enclosed a picture of this well you would wouldn't you it's it's disgusting it is so disgusting also it's quite arty this picture because it looks like a couple of dozen teeth crowded into an antique snuff box or something on a little pile of dead leaves and grass i mean this is objectionable behavior mm. but at least it has a viral quality to it really you know, it is shareable in the sense that you received this on your facebook you thought it was so remarkable you forwarded it to us we are now talking about it because it is interesting you can't excuse things just because of that ollie we talk about all kinds of things that don't deserve to be public domain but what i mean is it's not objectionable in the same way as people casually sharing uninteresting things on facebook like in a way that's worse isn't it when oh, people have wine o'clock yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> my plant died today when people haven't filtered is this a thing that's worth sharing or not in a way that's more objectionable than someone sharing something disgusting because at least something disgusting is sort of by nature shareable yeah but what if this friend didn't realize that this is disgusting what if she thought it was quite great well, again, that sort of makes it shareable, doesn't it? This this thought process behind the scenes to the viewer. You're thinking, is this person sane? Mm. You know, have they realised quite how disgusting this is? I, I've still got a jar of my gallstones, but I keep them in a drawer now. I, I haven't put them on social media. No. I just think, well, if I throw them away, what if at some point I want a museum of things that are <laughs> taking out of my body? Well, you, they could be, you could be depriving them of a great career, Helen, by not sharing them on social what, media. What, the gallstones as, as like a, um, a shaker in a band? <laughs> the gallstones actually sounds like a Motown group that people have forgotten about, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Diana Ross and the gallstones. Yeah, actually. <laughs> if it wasn't so horrible, that would be a good name. I think given the composition of this picture, which we will put on our website, answermethispodcast.com, your friend is only steps away from having these teeth uh, made into a brooch and matching earrings and at this point I think you have to defriend her I imagine if she turned up at your house and she was wearing a necklace that was entirely made of her children's teeth I've got a question email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Here's a question from a lady who used to live, Helen, where you used to live when you were a child, but now lives in a place where I used to visit a lot on holiday when I was a child. That is uh, a link that took so long it's barely worth making. (laughs) It's a mad (laughs) cosmic coincidence, Helen. It's from Rosie from Kent, now living in Sardinia. Um, Kent is considered the Sardinia of southern England. (laughs) Uh, she says, I live in Cagliari with my Sardinian husband of three months. Congratulations. Whose family grow a lot of fruit, vegetables, 
and have a small vineyard. Score. Uh, so we have a pretty much unlimited supply of fresh stuff and wine. Hooray. 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 But she continues, I've recently discovered that the family wine gives me cystitis. The family are very proud of their wine, so Helen answer me this. How can I not drink it without <laughs> offending A, my husband, and B, his family? I can't tell my husband because he'll immediately tell his family about the cystitis, even if I make him promise not to. That's Italian families. Well, that's what you married, isn't it? <laughs> when the moon hits your eye, that's Italian families. When your urinary tract it burns. <laughs> Italian uh, families. Uh, well, <laughs> is it really better to deceive your husband and your in-laws than it would just be to say to your husband, I can't drink the wine, I'm kind of allergic to it, and for his family to know that? You don't even really have to take it in the direction of your bladder, but why not? I think that's right. I think this wouldn't be such a concern in your own mind, Rosie, if it weren't a problem below below deck. I think if it were making your face red with a rash... I mean, obviously, that wouldn't be ideal in terms of your interactions in the world. You could paint your face red with a rash and say it's because of the rash! Yeah. Oh, well done, Ollie. Yeah, because well, that could work, couldn't it? If, if, hypothetically, it was giving you a rash, you wouldn't have to say anything. The uh, I'm going to stereotype here, but I imagine the big, gregarious Italian mama of the family. What, uh, what's she wearing? Is she wearing an apron yeah. over a kind of faded for all house dress and yeah. she's carrying a rolling pin in yeah. her thick arms? That's right. And she says, when's a yordle mio day? Uh, oh. she, would, <laughs> she would come up to you and she would say... Hey, what's that upper with so your facer? And you'd yeah. say, "Well, I'm so it's so embarrassing, her. But but uh, when I uh, eat, this is uh, embarrassing your, than uh, anything, Ollie. Uh, when I eat your your when I drink your wine, this unfortunately, is trouble abroad. Uh, this is the reaction that I have. And actually, of course, she would then be sympathetic because she'd noticed. So I think you're being anxious because you have to mention yeah. it's cystitis. Don't mention it's cystitis. Yeah. Allergy, allergy, or, or use the excuse to actually feel a bit faint and go to bed a lot. The, well, the problem is with that and other things that mean you were abstaining from the wine. If mm. you said, say, "Well, I'm trying to drink less" or anything like that, which they probably wouldn't understand, they'll think uh, you're pregnant. Exactly. Yeah. And that will make them all the more overexcited about this than if you just said it makes my urinary tract burn so i think probably just go with the truth and what are they going to talk about after that if you went with the truth i mean i dare say even italian mamas do get cystitis i know that oh. tornatori has never made a film about it uh, but well I, it's the subtext isn't it I, <laughs> I suspect it still happens in sardinia um she yeah. probably would understand also how can you avoid telling your husband that you've got cystitis because at some in- point the no entry barrier is going to go up and you need to explain why to him if it'll interfere with your intimate time yes yeah quite right mm. i would have thought the greater embarrassment would be telling the the the, the um italian mama rather than her finding out so actually the fact that your husband is indiscreet yes. is sort of a bit of a gift yes. you can, you can, this is in strictest confidence tell him yeah, yeah. and now it will get back to them yeah. and don't tell anybody and like, I mean it don't <laughs> tell anybody <laughs> But yeah. again, I mean, this might be a stereotype, but I'm imagining the full-blown... Oh, no, don't do the accent again. I'm imagining the full-blown Sardinian village in which, you know, Monica Bellucci, perhaps she's the milkmaid passing the window, who would then tell the whole village, some of whom are bowling, some of whom are watching yeah. cinema on a big outdoor screen, some and, are playing chess. And then she'd pour a glass full of the wine over her own breast and laugh and laugh. <laughs> and, then it would, and then it would cut away to a, a harmlessly amusing scene of a gang of 14-year-olds masturbating vigorously. But it's funny because yeah, they're and, Italian. And then to uh, four eight-year-old widows looking stern <laughs> in the doorway of a church... Yeah, the whole town would know fairly quickly in that scenario. I wonder how uh, Rosie from Kent living in Sardinia managed to identify that it was the family wine and not the family fruit and vegetables that were giving her the cystitis. Well, I mean, if indeed she has deduced that. Uh, I mean, unless the family fruit and vegetables are uh, cranberries, 
Um, mm. You know, who's to say that it is the wine? She hasn't given us her methodology. Maybe she, she kind of wants it to be the wine. Yes, maybe she just doesn't like the wine. Yeah, maybe mm. she's looking for validation from us that it is the wine and actually it might not be the wine. She needs to do a randomised control trial, I think. That said, though, here's an entertaining cure for cystitis. Masturbation. I can imagine in a man, yeah. the, uh, the act of uh, climax would mm-hmm. clear out his uh, urinary yes. tract, whereas in a woman doesn't work quite the same well according to uh, a study from the university of sydney mm-hmm. um cystitis can be prevented through the process of so-called tenting when the cervix opens due to arousal mm-hmm. tenting stretches the cervix and thus the cervical mucus this enables fluid circulation allowing cervical fluids full of bacteria to be flushed out great so there you go mm. try that and also it's nicer than pouring some ocean spray down there isn't it I don't think you're supposed to cure it with cranberry juice by doing uh, that. Also, like, it never works for me. <laughs> well, apparently it is a myth anyway. Really? Yeah. But it's a myth that's got a huge pharmaceutical industry attached well, to it. There are like cranberry flavoured sort of Panadol and things like that, aren't there? Ocean spray must have made a killing out of people with bladder infections. Yeah, 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 they must have. We should think of something like that. Mm. Something that we might... Answer me this mugs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> cure weak bladders. If you don't even know what a question is, then you're probably at the wrong place. Cause religion's on Godcasts, dogs are on dogcasts, fish are on rodcasts, but we don't do fish. Cause on this podcast, you answer me this. Listeners, for the first time this year, may we remind you that you are very welcome to call us and leave a question on our question line, the number for which is 02081235877. And our Skype ID is Answer Me This. Hello, um, this is James. I'm in my bedroom. Um, I've noticed that there are a lot of pubs in Soho called the Blue Posts. There's one on Kingley Street, near Regent Street. There's one on Berwick Street. And there's one near Piccadilly Circus. Why, there's so many pubs called the Blue Posts in Soho. I've never seen another pub called the Blue Posts before. Bye. Well, there is also the Blue Posts uh, just north of Soho on the corner of Newman Street and East Castle Street. So technically Fitzrovia, but really about 50 metres from Soho. Mm. That was pedantic, but impressively so. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, He's right. I thought surely there is a distribution of blue posts as there are with other pub names. I looked on Google Maps and it seems in the whole country, you may uh, write in listeners if we're wrong, but all of them are concentrated in that tiny area. There's a handful of blue posts and uh, they're all within walking distance of each other. You could do a blue post crawl if you wanted in central London. I bet people have. I bet they have actually. I wonder who would, like maybe the Royal Mail Workers Conservative Association. Hmm. I imagine, therefore, there is some sort of historical reference going on here to the geographical area. Well, looking on the History of Pubs type websites that I've been on, they all seem to concur that it was probably some pubs had a little marker outside to distinguish them from the other pubs. And so these ones had a blue post outside. Hmm. But the, what, just just as a point of reference, literally, so you could say, I'll meet you outside the drinking establishment with the blue post. Yeah, I guess so. But why would they all do that? Then? And why would that be a London thing? Well, why? All so close together as well. About which blue post? The one on Newman Street or the one on Kingley the, Street? The Fitzrovia blue post is very, very close to the Royal Mail sorting office. Good point. It's both the opposite. For many, many years. Apparently the blue might have had something to do with political affiliation as well. Okay, so actually my jokey reference might not be that far off. Might, really might have might been not. something to do with uh, postage and conservatism. But the blue posts, uh, if there are only about five of them and they're all in central London, are not going to be able to take on the red lions, of which there are over 600. I'm going to say something that will upset a few people now. Oh, keep your racist stuff under wraps. Uh, 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 <laughs> it's all right. Wash people. I think in um, <laughs> Soho, 
that's a place where I want to go to modern cool bars. And mm-hmm. I think the traditional English pub is best suited to a countryside environment. I make some exceptions there. I know that in Soho there are perhaps two dozen genuinely historic, amazing, but beautiful buildings that are 400 years old. And obviously those should still be pubs and I don't want to see them converted into Costa Coffee. But there are a lot of mediocre pubs that are still there that are only 100 years old. And I just think, actually, I'd rather this was a cool bar that had like arcade machines and it was a bit more like New York because we're in London. No. Rather than having these countryish pubs which are better suited to the country. You say that because you're currently 32. But I bet in 10 years' time or 20 years' time, you'll just want a quiet pub where they're not playing loud music, where there are very few people there, there's carpet on the floor and there are no blue lights. Yeah, but oh, I've just put that away. A pub is a place to have a drink and have a chat. No, but to- no, 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 but this is my point. In London, they're not because they're mob full of people. Like, and, and, mm. and although uh, upstairs is often half empty, isn't it? Yeah. Why is that? Why is that just natural selection? Like people who don't, aren't clever enough to realise they can go upstairs <laughs> yes. have to be like, packed up. Like Daleks. Daleks. Yeah. <laughs> but downstairs, they are horrible, aren't they? They're absolutely full of people. You're going to no. get groped. You're going to get coughed on very often. And so the idea of like sort of sitting around and having a nice chat in a pub that isn't possible. In yeah, a but Soho it's pub. not possible in a bar either because the bars are equally Correct. crowded and Correct. also loud. So Correct. what's your beef? My, no, my, my point is since it's not possible since the pub idyll is not possible in central London why not let's just have cool modern funky bars because you've got loads of those already I think you're creating a problem where no such problem exists Ollie. you're giving people the alternative to going to a shit bar that does not have the upstairs that you can go and sit in peace in the upstairs is crucial see yeah. anyway here's a question from an anonymous man from Oxford lots of good pubs in Oxford don't have a problem with pubs in Oxford oh apparently not what about the bars in Oxford I don't think there should be any cool London style bars in Oxford because when you're in Oxford you solely want to go to a pub where Tolkien would have sat and that is talked what to C.S. Lewis that's what I think <laughs> you need... I always thought thirst in Oxford was a waste of time but whereas thirst in Soho welcome can you not conceive of the fact that some people want things other than what you want nope mm. As I thought. Uh, (laughs) Anonymous man from Oxford says, I've been together with my girlfriend for a few years now. What do you want, a prize? But there is a distinct attractiveness gap between us, with her being much better looking. I cannot relate to this at all. Uh, This leads to a reasonably frequent situation at bars slash clubs slash indie music festivals where men hit on her, assuming either that we're not together... Or if that we are, I pose no threat. <laughs> That's very self-aware to include that last caveat. That's so rude. I think that happens a lot to women who are going out with men who are famous. Um, mm. And just people pretend they're not even there. Anonymous man says, Ollie, answer me this. What is the correct social etiquette, because politeness is important, for when someone hits on your partner in front of you? Do I stay quiet and let them try their luck? Or awkwardly join in with a conversation? <laughs> yes, she does have lovely breasts. <laughs> yes, she is busy later. Actually, we've got a table booked up the road for nine. <laughs> uh, go home and look after the kids. I'd say you could come, but uh, you seem kind of rude. Um, you don't sound like the kind of guy who's going to confront them head on at the time. Go steady, steady. Exactly. You looking at my bird? You looking at my bird? <laughs> you can look at my fist. Yeah, yeah. Which is a which is a legitimate way to deal with the situation. Not um, really. Well, no, it is. For a certain style of man, that is the quickest, neatest way. And yeah. and often the kind of woman who's attracted to that kind of man in a partnership with that kind of man wants him to do that and and be the squire at that point. Yeah. So actually, I think that is a response. But since you're the kind of man to stew on this for weeks and then write to a comedy podcast in about a humorous it, way, yeah, you're probably not that kind of man. I, I feel like you're confident enough, anonymous man, really, uh, just to look on and laugh. Well, I was going to yeah. say, I think <clears throat> perhaps the best thing for you to do assuming that you are the kind of man that i'm assuming you are is don't play the the by the rules of the former strategy at all don't give it too much front play the battle in your own way play mm-hmm. the battle long term make it clear across the course of the evening to your rival suitor mm-hmm. that you are the cleverer more sophisticated 
uh, more astute, safer bet for this woman in the long term. And that's why she's with you and you're comfortable with that. You don't have to try like this guy. Yeah, but you've just said that he does because he's got to try and put on this sophisticated, astute front. <laughs> so he's got to ply her with very fancy cocktails whilst reading to her from Petrarch. Yeah, that's, that's basically, yeah, it hadn't occurred to me that, that could be a bit of a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a very strong front to seem perfectly comfortable with other people uh, approaching your partner. I think when you seem insecure, then that that is obviously a weak spot for them to target. Mm. But if you're just like crossing your arms and looking upon and then confidently putting your arm around her, then um, that's better, I think. Yes. Obviously, if a woman even looks at Martin, I pull her hair and then I scratch her eyes out. <laughs> no, you make a good point because actually he, he says, oh, they think I pose no threat. I mean, actually a truly comfortable man. Yeah, why would you need to pose a threat? Exactly. You actually, it's not just that you don't pose a threat, it's that you don't see your, you don't see the other person as a threat you're so yeah. comfortable and confident in your relationship that you are happy for flirting to happen and in fact it is possible and this this is i suppose putting too much of a positive spin on the intentions of some of mm. these men who are making a bid for your bird yes uh, but it is possible that some of those men are flirting in front of you deliberately not to undermine you not because they don't see you as a threat but because they recognize that you are comfortable in your relationship and actually you might be up for a three-way no no no. but actually on those parameters it is okay in the same way that it's okay for me to flirt with martin when you're here because (laughs) i know that you are in a safe comfortable relationship yeah flirting is actually can be easier if you know nothing's going to come of it yeah i think also he wouldn't be writing to us in this particular way if his girlfriend was responding i'm assuming that he's perfectly secure in his relationship with his girlfriend as well having not indicated otherwise Mm. i think the thing is to sit back and let her bat off the attention i think it's important though to ascertain with your partner beforehand have you had a chat about how she feels and and how you feel about this because if she is the kind of woman that wants to be fought for by Mm. two men and enjoys that spectacle then you standing back uh, she might think that you don't actually care i'm not saying Mm. it's a healthy thought process to support by getting a bit aggressive but you know how some people's minds work yeah but medication is important it would be crap to have to get aggressive because you know your girlfriend cares about it when you don't yeah so talk about it and just say to her look i I don't want to get aggressive with people uh i want you to know that i'd prefer it if people didn't look at you but obviously you're so beautiful that uh they can't help it it does depend on the woman but i can imagine a lot of women that if they were being white knighted by their boyfriend They'd just get really pissed off with that. They would just be like, well, I can tell people, tell a yeah. aggressive teacher to fuck off. I'm and, not- and, and I might enjoy the flirting myself. Yeah. I might enjoy the attention. More- I'm still with you. Yeah, I think one would enjoy that more if one's partner wasn't right there, though. I think otherwise it would seem a little awkward. Yeah. Just cramp your style a bit. Martin, if you were getting flirted with by a lot of women, uh, how would you want me to respond? Well, it happened to me on the train today, actually. What? Yeah, I was that co- bitch slash bastard. So I was coming back on the train, and this woman came on the train with a dog. You were about to say you were flirted with by a dog, Martin. That no, it was the count. woman. So the, the bid. So the dog did a little cough, and it coughed for a little while, and then the woman went, "He's not going to throw up on your foot. You're all right." Four. Talk about a line. <laughs> Might as well have just <laughs> taken we that off. bra off right there. <laughs> so uh, you don't have to imagine. That's what happened. How do you feel? I feel, I feel devastated. We had a little chat about dogs. Why didn't you just melt your wedding ring right there? <laughs> I don't know if you've ever helped your mum build a website. It is the kind of torment from which there is no respite. If she asks, what's a widget again? I will kill her with a rusty spike. Or a brick or a spade or a chainsaw. But Squarespace is so easy, even your mum can use it. She can drag and drop and cut and paste, that's all there is to it. So Helen, put that spike down, I beg you, for Christ's sake, don't do it! Sorry, mum. 
Well, listeners, I don't know whether, as your New Year's resolution, you've been planning to uh, build yourself a website for your incredible new career as a an online entrepreneur. But if you have, then uh, may we please recommend you build one using squarespace.com. And if you enjoy your month's free trial, then please use the code ANSWER1, as in the digit 1, to get 10% off for the first year. That's right. And you, they have a variety of uh, distinct and beautiful templates you can use that they- make your site look nice on mobile. Uh, on iPad, on desktop. They do, but also uh, you can do some smashing e-commerce, can't you, Ollie? Because you've been experimenting with that very angle of Squarespace service, have you not? That's right, yeah. So I've built us a store. Yeah, it's quite exciting, isn't it? This, yeah. is, this is what Jack Cohen must have said when he built the first Tesco. Came home proudly. I've built us a store, kids. Yeah, maybe one day it will have completely destroyed every town. <laughs> <laughs> it's only a matter of time in our case. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if you go to answermethisstore.com, you can buy uh, all of our classic episodes mm. that we sell. Uh, episodes 1 to 170. Ooh. Uh, you can buy our best of episodes Whoa. you can buy our apps you can Whoa. donate to the show um, and you can get our albums and you can get our albums as well yeah all four of our albums and you can do that without giving money to Evil Corp or Moneycom that's uh, it yeah which some of you have complained about uh, in the past about buying our albums well here is a question about a, a very pre-Squarespace forms of communication it comes from Neil from Crawley in West Sussex who says stamps have been around since the 19th century yeah yeah. yeah. Testify. That's not the question. Oh, okay. Amen. Uh, yeah. Since Roland Hill invented the penny post in 1840. Uh, Ollie answered me this. Who decided that the format for stamped correspondence was to stick the stamp in the top right-hand corner of the envelope? The same format is used the world over. Yes. Is it? It is, yes. Every, even the ones with circular stamps and whatnot. Yes, because... me. And this isn't answering the question directly, I'll get to that in a minute, but the reason it still happens now uh, is because now uh, all of the major sorting, posting offices in the world use machines that look to the top right-hand corner Aww. to identify whether you've paid, stamp it, frank it, or whatever. Mm. Um, and therefore, actually, it is apparently legal. You can put your stamp anywhere on the envelope. I've, I've done it by accident in the past. Yeah, you can actually technically, I think, send like a shoe not in a packet yeah. if it's got a stamp on it well it's a postcard then isn't it exactly um so you can put the stamp anywhere but then you're essentially saying this has to be sorted by hand if it's done manually you can pretty much expect it won't get there mm. or if it does get there it's going to be delayed so for it to go through quickly it goes in the top right hand corner because it's sorted by machine that's why it still happens now that's why it happens around the world why mess with a classic indeed but why did it become a classic why it um, had to go somewhere didn't it ollie couldn't go right in the middle of the envelopes forehead well I have a theory on this, and oh, I think God. no, no, no I, I think oh. this is the answer. If you look at the world's first stamp, uh, which, as you correctly identified, was the penny black from 1840, featuring the profile of Queen Victoria, yeah. you cool. will notice she is looking to the left, reading your address. Reading your address. Ah. Now, bearing in mind, people were very monarchistic then, and they were very loyal to the Queen. I don't think there's any doubt when you see the stamp that it clearly needs to go in the top right-hand corner. It would be disrespectful to the Queen to put an address above her head when she's not looking at it. It would be wrong for her to be looking over the edge of the parcel. And I think, therefore, that's how that tradition came about. I genuinely think that's the reason. Queen Victoria is looking to the left. Uh, The Queen now, Elizabeth She looks over to the left. (laughs) (laughs) Is looking to the left. So it makes sense. You put the stamp in the top right corner. Uh, and uh, they're looking at the address and of course back then British Empire we ruled the waves and all that we yep. invented this system yeah. we exported it around the world and that's why suck it yeah it's why they're it's why cricket takes so long because we invented it that way <laughs> and uh, stamp fact stamp fact uh, we remain the only country in the world and I think this is genuinely quite classy and cool mm-hmm. we remain the only country in the world that does not put its name on our stamp no need no need got, got our monarch on there everyone knows her name 
um, I wonder whether a more simple uh, version of your theory, though, Wally, is that in English we use the left-hand margin and right in a right-hand direction. Yes. Correct. So you would naturally start your address on the leftmost side of the envelope. Maybe you don't want it to crowd the stamp. That's why you put it on the right. You could have it in the bottom right corner then. That would make the stamp, sense. Yeah, but your address might go down a certain way. You might not leave it. I agree. It's, it's, it's the portion of a small envelope which is the least likely to have writing on it, Indeed. isn't it, in that system? That is true. That's what I reckon. And yeah. then you've got some space for postmarks as well. Well, I dare say the truth Wax is somewhere seals. between the two theories, but they both seem very sensible to me. I'm an answer me this fan. I listen with my nan. She is not so keen. She finds it too obscene. I follow them on Twitter, though Ashton Kutcher's fitter. I want to take things further. Just one step short of murder. I want to look like Ollie Man. I want to smell like Ollie Man. I want to be like Ollie Man. I want to chase like Ollie Man. I want to look like Ollie Man. I want to talk like Ollie Here's a question from Mark from Oxford, who says, This year, friends of mine used Christmas morning to drive around London, taking photographs of the city in a rare state of almost total desertion, like well, 28 days later. I was just about to say the same thing. I was just about to say, well, that worked for Danny Boyle. It really did. Yeah. Their picture of Piccadilly Circus was particularly striking for the absence of people in what is usually a virtually impassable thoroughfare. Actually, I, because I was doing my radio show that morning, I finished at 5am in Leicester Square Oof. and I saw that myself. I walked through Piccadilly Circus, 5am Christmas Day, not a soul. What you don't realise until you walk through at five in the morning on Christmas Day is that you mm. never see London totally empty. Like, even no. when you think, oh, this is empty, yeah. there's still a homeless person, someone cleaning the street, someone opening a shop. Some when tourists. it's empty, it yeah. is actually weird. Is it amazing? Like walking walking through a post-apocalyptic version of London. It's a bit scary, mm. you know, because all these huge spaces that are designed for thousands of people are deserted. Yeah. And you, you can feel they're not being used properly. Uh, Mark says, in Piccadilly Circus, seeing the massive advertising hoardings broadcasting their messages to nobody <laughs> got me thinking. Well, they were broadcasting the messages to you. Through the photo. True, but even to the person who was taking the photo. Yeah. So therefore, silly to turn the advertising hoardings off. One of the larger messages, says Mark, is for the Japanese company TDK. Correct. Which those over a certain age will know as the dominant maker of blank tapes for home audio and video recording. Those of a certain age. Honestly, who doesn't still buy a big pack of C90s and have a great weekend? Do you know what? I was doing uh, some tidying up in the flat recently and came upon some unused blank tapes uh-huh. and I did think... I'm never going to use these, no. but, I can't, but I can't throw them away. Yeah, I should sell them to a hipster, Martin. Yeah. Many was the day, says Mark, lovingly making mixtapes with a TDK logo or re- recording films off the telly onto TDK VHS tapes, which would never end up being watched. So children listening who were under, say, 25, this is what life was like before you were born. <laughs> yeah. uh, many was the cheap Christmas or birthday gift of a pack of blank tapes under the TDK <laughs> brand. I remember this. Oh, yeah. Hashtag TDK memories. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How wonderful That's, it was. That was some time ago now, though, mm. and I haven't even seen a tdk product in the past five years so ollie answer me this why do tdk still bother to advertise on piccadilly circus does it do them any good or did they just pay for 40 years of that advertising spot and they're just using it well a bit of both i should imagine because um yes obviously they did get a long lease on the advertising and if you haven't been to piccadilly circus by the way it's kind of Times square style huge uh lit up billboard scrolling lighty things correct although actually distressingly if you 
search for an image mm. of Piccadilly Circus in the 1960s, mm. you'll see that the comparison with Times Square really was apt 50 years ago. Really? Yeah, because they had not just the current wall of lights, but in the building opposite, they also had a wall of neon lights and the building next to that. I thought you were going to say 50 years ago, it was nothing but hanging baskets. No, no. They, wow. So it did look like Times Square. So- and actually now it looks right, like all our lives, it's looked a bit like a crap version of Times Square. Yeah. Like I thought just five neon lights. But why have TDK stuck it out in that wall of lights when all they have to peddle are memories? Well, so partly it was, yes, that they bought the license a long time ago. They actually, astonishingly to my mind, only bought this spot on Piccadilly Circus in 1990. I think in 1990, actually, you would have thought, wow, home entertainment has really taken off. Videotapes are the future. Actually, it wasn't just tapes that they made, of course. It was that other long-lasting product, floppy disks. Ah! Um, <laughs> and actually, it was only as recently as 2000 2001 that they removed the uh, the light that was underneath the TDK logo which actually said the words audio and videotape and floppy disks <laughs> 2001 still what's the point what TDK products could we possibly need in this day and age Ollie well the, w- basically the company was sold in 2007 mm-hmm. uh, only for 300 million dollars which when you consider oh. it was once a global leader I bought mm. it and then I lost it yeah. and didn't even <laughs> look for it well you know it's plausible get a few millionaires together you could afford to buy that company didn't Kodak sell for about 10 pounds as well well yeah but they mm. were going bankrupt whereas TDK mm. you know actually still had some mm. stock they sold for 300 million in 2007 all they were selling i suppose is their brand mm. the company mm. that bought them now manufactured things like flash drives okay. so that they're taking mm. the heritage of cassettes and uh, chemicals and um, floppy disks mm-hmm. and although none of those processes are really relevant these days the brand and the heritage particularly in japan where they're from uh means that it's worth buying the brand for that to then sell computer products okay and part of that brand if all you're selling is the brand is that you've had this spot since 1990 in one of the world's most expensive advertising hoardings and actually i think that is the reason they keep it it's because we're having this conversation it's because people like oh yeah tdk they still exist they thought in 1990 well maybe 24 years hence this will pay off in the form of a question on a podcast exactly no that will never happen pipe dream let's stick to the videotapes (laughs) although the fact that they were the last to go to led does i mean it does underline to me that they're hardly at the cutting edge of technology Mm. You know, if McDonald's and Coca-Cola beat the tech company to changing from neon to LED, that doesn't look great for them. But tapes and videotapes were never cutting edge. They were convenient and cheap. Mm. And kind of blunt edge. Not like a CD if you snapped it in half. Well, when you say they were never cutting, they were. There was at one point there were new technology, but that was 1960-something. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, I don't know this full story of it because it's probably very boring, but the whole VHS versus Betamax mm. battle. Everyone says Betamax was a better format, VHS was cheaper and it got, yeah. got porn on it basically, which is why it, why it became the market leader. And cassettes as well. They got a lot of porn on. Now, what was the first ever neon sign at Piccadilly Circus? Is it one that's still there? No. Um, what year was it? It was in the 1930s. Oh. Was it for Bird's Custard or something? No. Heinz. You are close actually. Bisto. You're so close. Typhoo. No, no, no. You're closer with Bisto. Closer so with close. Oh, so close. Ah. We've talked about it on the show before. Bovril! Yes! Yay. Oh, oh, First wow. ever sign on Piccadilly Circus, Bovril. Wow. Yeah. Where is kind that now? Kind of a shame it's not there anymore, isn't it? Mm. Sort of, but it would probably be a brown neon sign, which wouldn't be very beautiful. <laughs> and what's the longest lasting sign on, on Piccadilly Circus? Pretty, this is pretty obvious. Which company has held it for the longest? Coca-Cola? Uh, yes, Coca-Cola. 1954. Well, the logo wow. is uh, pretty much the same, isn't it? Yeah, it is actually. And, and, you know, that is an example of this is why they are one of the world's leading brands, I guess. If you look at a picture yeah. of Piccadilly Circus from the 50s, that Coca-Cola sign, 
I guess it would be being slightly knowingly retro if they used it now, but the slogan, yeah. you know, enjoy Coca-Cola with the bottle, exactly the same as it would be 70 years later. Close enough. And yeah. everyone likes a bit of uh, 50s branding nostalgia <laughs> visually, don't they? Indeed. Well, something else that will, of course, be around in 70 years' time is this podcast. No! no! <laughs> I can't believe this is the eighth year, but then I'll probably be saying that in in 70 years' time as well. Yeah. And uh, I'll be 103 then. Mm. Which is plausible, isn't it, with medical advances? And also, the, my family lived to incredible ages. Mm. Please but don't let me. The, but the only way we can make it to episode 282, listeners, is mm. with your questions for us oh, to answer. Yes, so mm. please, please, please send them via email, phone and Skype. All of our contact details are, for your convenience, on our website, answermethispodcast.com. And we will be here, not next week but the week after that I know it's a lot for you to get used to but you can do it <laughs> you'll be okay we'll see you in two weeks time yes bye, bye.